I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Michael Jr., Michael Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out here live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, every day on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV Plus, and Roku. Fun guests coming up today. Spice Adams, former Chicago Bears defensive <laughs> tackle. One of the funniest and most original meme creators on God's internet, especially from the football sector here. Very giving, very funny dude. Excited to talk to him about what he's got going on. And then a guy you know very well, Dad, Eric Allen, uh, former Philadelphia Eagle, now just some great work over covering the Las Vegas Raiders as he's getting set to try and crack into Canton and join the Hall of Fame, which has to be a really exciting, obviously, honor to be considered considered amongst the greats, but sort of a nerve-wracking process as yeah. you're getting down here towards the end of being one of the final guys. Yeah, it's going to be fun to talk to him. I, I, Eric and I got along so well together, and we played in Philadelphia, one of the great cornerbacks to play, and, you know, trying to get that gold jacket. And I, I'm, I wanted to talk to him because also voting ends tomorrow for it and trying to get that late push for him. It's amazing how players have to kind of, you know, unless you're that first ballot guy, have to kind of push for votes, which seems odd to me. I mean, and this is how it is, though. I'm somewhat stunned at it. I mean, your stats are your stats, and he has some phenomenal stats. He's been out of the league since 01, so he's he's been in this position for, for a little bit right now. But you know what? We'll talk to him about the process, how he's feeling, because it's a – it's while there's a small percentage of people to ever play in the NFL, there's even a tiny, tiny percentage of those players that end up wearing gold jackets or even finalists for gold jackets, and he's one of them. So it'll be it'll be great to reminisce with him. As you mentioned, he's still very current and doing things with the Raiders pre and post and, and knows NFL and talks NFL all the time. So uh, going to be interesting to talk with him about th- this process. 
I'm always curious when those guys start to let themselves think about that as a possibility, yeah. Yeah. whether it's as a player, because there's a clip going around. We've got so much great stuff to talk about today. Jason Kelsey, among them, came out on his podcast and addressed the uh, notions and the reports that he had told his team. He was retiring and there was an old clip that circulated of him and Chris Long on Chris's podcast from last year at the Super Bowl. And Chris was telling him, you know, you're a Hall of Famer and was trying to ask him the question about who he'd let present him. And Jason was doing the very humble thing that you'd expect from Jason, where he yep. wouldn't confirm that out right away. Chris kind of had to coax it out of him. And it was it was so strange, Dad, to hear that from a guy who all of us look at as a lock Hall of Famer and Jason Kelsey and, you know, him, Lane Johnson on his offensive line, both guys that we'd expect to do that. But for a current player, it seemed like a step he wasn't willing to go. So I'm fascinated when guys like that that are going to be amongst that group of players are considered start to allow themselves to sort of think about it. I mean, think about it when you're growing up. You dream in the backyard when you're playing wiffle ball or baseball or something, hitting that game-winning home run or catching the game-winning touchdown or throwing the game-winning pass, you know, touchdown or whatever sport, the game-winning goal in soccer or hockey. I don't think anybody as a kid, as an eight-year-old in the backyard is saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, it's about being the star on that team or having that monster play, that big play that you dream about. But you're right, at some point when you're playing, like your buddy, guy you played on the line with at Notre Dame, Zach Martin. I mean, he has to know he's walking into the Hall of Fame. But he's another one, if you asked him about it now, I'm sure he would push it off as well. And I think, obviously, most would. You don't want to kind of talk about that situation because you know it's going to happen down the road. Sure. He has to know. I mean, for him to even and, – and he would try and play it off by saying, we'll see. But yeah. we all know what the answer is. I just think these guys I, – I, I get it. I mean, we'd all love to be in that position, but I, I certainly get them not, not diving into it. There's also probably a reason they're that good because they don't think about stuff like that and their standards exactly. are so otherworldly <laughs> yes. high. So we'll peek behind the curtain of that with Eric coming up in a little bit. But, Dad, you mentioned Zach Martin and the star and of the uh, unexpected results that were out there. Us walking in here and what we got from Jerry Jones in the last 24 hours probably qualifies as unexpected for a lot of people. Let's get to three for Thursday, three big questions that we've got leading into the football weekend here. And dad, uh, none bigger than the decision that Jerry Jones made in Dallas of did they make the right move? Bringing back Mike McCarthy, Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL uh, insider reported yesterday that Jerry Jones and the Cowboys had made that decision. And Dad, this is it's really interesting to watch the reaction to this because there's a lot of people that look at this as the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. There's a lot of people that turn around and talk about what Mike McCarthy's done, 36 wins in the regular season over the last three years, putting his team in position to be in the dance each of those years and by all accounts being pretty well liked and respected by the players in that locker room as signs for why this should have happened so for you was this the right decision did they get this right i listen i am always you know we talk every year about about coaches uh are they going to get fired who's on the hot seat and quite honestly i hate it i hate calling you know i would never call for somebody's job but you talk about it as an analyst hey there needs to be a change here there probably needs to be a change like we saw in vegas uh, with situations in the locker room and with the Chargers as well. So I, I, I thought he was going to be gone just because of Jerry Jones' comments after week 18. 
after the last regular season game that next day, Jerry was asked about Mike McCarthy and his job security, and he said, we'll take it one postseason game at a time. And it couldn't have been worse, right? They got to one postseason game, and they got smoked at home where they'd been undefeated. So Jerry set this up to say, let's go one game at a time. They got destroyed at home. So I thought, well, I mean, he's going to be gone. You know, Jerry basically as much said so when, when he said that, made that statement. If we're, if we're grading now on the postseason, that was a big F, not for Mike McCarthy alone, but everybody. So I was surprised at that. But you know what? I'm happy for the guy. I mean, there's going to be – I know there are some analysts who, who said they should stay, but there are some analysts who are screaming he should have been fired and should have been fired last year and should be fired this year. And, and everybody certainly can have their opinion. I understand that. But I'm happy they did that because here's the one thing I look at, Mike. This team was a good team in the regular season. As we've seen, the last three years, they were 12-5. and five. Two of those years won the division, won one, uh, one playoff game, and lost three in this. So I, in calling that game, the things they got beat on in this game, they were doing better, save for at the end of the season, they were getting run on. They were giving up 160 yards on the ground yeah. the last three weeks of the season. It was a struggle for them on the interior and the linebacker position. And they were struggling there. But, you know, they could rush the passer, and, and, and they were playing well. We know the offensive firepower as well. See, there, there's parts of me, Mike, that looks at a good team and says, okay, they're good, and you can't get them over the hump. I, I brought up the story many times. Uh, the late Marty Schottenheimer, when he coached my brother in Cleveland, got to AFC Championship games, lost to Denver a couple of times, and ended up getting fired for not getting to the next step. We know that with Andy Reid uh, in Philadelphia as well. But I, I, I have been and always will be a guy that says the players need to execute. This was a really good team, and they stunk in that wild card game. And the last I checked, uh, Mike McCarthy was calling plays, didn't throw some of the passes Dak threw, didn't drop some of the balls that they dropped, and defensively, you know, didn't miss some of the tackles that they missed. You know, can you, we sit there and break it down and well, get put in better positions and such, but the players are well, still the ones who played well all year, and then you get to the postseason, and well, it's the players well, that aren't well executing year on the certain field. games and got dropped in some of the biggest games they that did. they played this yes. season. Sands beating a bad Philadelphia team late in the year and us looking at that differently because of what we thought Philly was at the time. Dad, you can turn some of that around and say the fact that this Cowboys team has laid an egg in some of the biggest moments is an overall preparation and execution problem that does trace some of its roots back to the head coach. Like we talk yeah. about that in terms of how penalized this Dallas Cowboys football team is too the fact that they're not playing clean enough football to get it done in some of those pivotal moments so Mike McCarthy deserves a ton of praise especially for what he did right. as an offensive play caller this year took over for Kellen Moore had the spotlight on his back and helped Dak Prescott to one of his best seasons as a pro but on the other side if we're going to give him credit for things like that for Mike McCarthy on the blame side the team doesn't show up in big moments and you've also got a coach with a very obvious clock management problem that's always followed yeah. him that's going to be one of the easy things to point to okay I agree with all that and as I was continuing on it was and was going to finish up with on this was I guess my point overall is you have a ready-made team right this is a team that doesn't need to be rebuilt 
They've got a lot of talent on this team, and the money issues are going to have to work on. Micah Parsons is going to be the highest-paid defensive player. They need some help on defense. I guess overall, Mike, my question would have been, you've got a team ready to win that has won. Where are you going to go? What do you were you going to change everything? I mean, I know you got a lot of openings and I know there's a lot of candidates, but are you willing to take a team that's won 12 wins the last three years and change everything? Head coach, O coordinator, D coordinator, position coaches, scheme that you're playing and learn a new scheme. Now, players certainly can do it. It's not like it's never been done before, but is that the route that you want to go? I guess that's my point because you're right. Listen, I'm not absolving Mike McCarthy of, of, of wrong, of, of making mistakes. He, without question, he has, as the players have on the field as well in big moments. So it's hand in hand, but we know it's a lot easier to fire a coach than sit there and reassemble a team, especially when you have good players. But I guess overall, that would be my question. Where are you going to go unless you hired from within well, and just brought Dan Quinn there to keep everything the same? I think the where you're going to go is the interesting part of this offseason because there's a lot of really good coaches that we talked about in the market. There's a lot of really good veteran coaches that we've talked about in the market. And there is some precedent in this league for coaches coming in and winning Super Bowls and winning at a high level with a roster that's largely been built by the prior regime. So it's not completely unfounded in the approach. And again, we've talked about it a lot for teams this offseason. You're weighing your decision against this marketplace of unbelievably veteran talent in the head coaching market. We know know it probably wasn't going to be an up-and-coming coordinator it's not really how right. Jerry Jones right. has gotten down in a lot of this and so I think especially for an outside hire so that was probably all far-fetched but I do think part of that is interesting to weigh here dad ultimately I agree with you I think this was the right decision because I think for Dallas your charge can be pretty easy now we've said for the last how many off seasons hey Dallas you got to figure out how to stop the run even with all the good stuff Dan yep. Quinn does on defense and they haven't meaningfully addressed it they tried to with Mozzie Smith in the draft to some extent and that didn't work out so this offseason you got a clear directive you didn't have linebackers and people that could stop the running the football in the middle of that defense you got to go out and make that happen this offseason come hell or high water and figure out how to kind of do it on a bargain with Micah Parsons contract looming in the money you know you're going to have to allocate there so I ultimately think between that between the fact that the locker room isn't lost on him because he's walking into a lame duck year they're not extending him he's playing into right. the last year right. of his deal and as Adam Schefter pointed out Dallas has a history of that they just did it with G Jason Garrett yeah. who now calls Notre Dame games and hangs out on the desk for Sunday Night Football in America so not the best comparison in the world but understandable given some of the circumstances that we described but there's a lot of pressure that comes with this move because you're not while you are very good in a lot of ways you're not good enough to win in the time of year that you need to win in right yeah, now and that's yeah. ultimately going to be your judgment like you talked about marty shot now there's a big difference losing in the afc championship game yeah. every year if dallas had been losing in the nfc title to a juggernaut eagles team last year or this year's 49ers you can excuse that away a little bit more than getting dropped by jordan love in year one in the division in the wild card round I agree this year they got lost in a wild card last year they beat Tampa Bay uh, and then lost to San Francisco and the year before that they lost uh, to San Francisco so I'm with you and I think you know a lame duck coach or last year players do that do it all the time they're on a last year deal but it's different you know coach and, and player it's certainly not as bad as like in, in in college you rarely let that happen to show recruits you know our guys on a one-year deal that's not going to go well so I don't think it's as bad an issue unless you're Mike McCarthy and know you just have a one-year deal and you'd like more security 
uh, than that. Yeah, ultimately, I, I could have gone either way on this one. Like I said, because of Jerry's comments, Monday after week 18, yeah. I thought Mike McCarthy was going to be gone the way he set it up. But he'll get another year with this talent. They need to tinker with it, like you said, uh, and, uh, and, and try and get further in the playoffs. So we'll see. And your point about the changes that would go on with that, it does seem like this is probably going to be the offseason. Dan Quinn makes the jump. He's interviewing for right. a couple more jobs coming up here soon. Seems to be one of the names in rotation. Now, there's always a chance in an offseason that we mentioned, crowded with candidates that the game of musical chairs could leave Dan Quinn out and he could be back there. But it, it does still introduce the idea that the change they've been bracing for because they've been wondering if Dan Quinn was going to get got for the last couple off seasons might finally come on that side of the football and in which case it does you have a pretty enticing offer to a prospective defensive coordinator yep. coming over and saying hey we might not be perfect but we got a little bit better than most for you here yeah yeah uh, overall, I wonder if Jerry did any kind of backdoor channeling to find out, because I agree with you, if they were going to make a change, make it with a veteran coach. And there's a lot of DCs and OCs getting first-time head coach, possible head coaches getting interviewed. So did he inquire about Bill Belichick? Did he inquire behind closed doors about Jim Harbaugh to see? Because you're right, if it was going to be a change, it would have needed to be a change with a veteran coach, you know, who could just yeah. step in and keep the ball rolling. Yeah, would have been interesting in a day and age where we're watching all of these franchises put out the disclaimer or the, the news clip that we've just interviewed X, Y, or Z coach. You wonder if maybe Dallas went the opposite route and treated this more like a college football head coaching yep. search than an NFL head coaching search. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're both ultimately in agreement that while I can understand, and I saw Dave Hellman, our buddy who uh, you know uh, does a great job over at Fox Sports covering the Cowboys, has been on with us a couple of times kind of said it i can understand that if dallas cowboys fans are not thrilled waking up today yeah yeah because they've looked at this situation and they've they're dealing with this in totality like what you've had as a cowboys fan since right. the triplets has been average football by and large and even getting to this point now where you're playing you know great football during the regular season in a lot of instances and you're getting yourself a ticket to the dance every year, the standard that you've been sold at that organization is championship or bust. And when you've seen the same thing on repeat, essentially, for the last three years, and you feel like you just signed up for another round on that ride, I, I can absolutely see how there's this belief that I know how the story ends with this group right now. And if you're the Dallas Cowboys as an organization with the acquisitions that you're going to make and how you structure this offseason, it's on you to go out there and prove it because the Cowboys are going to be well talked about again, I'd imagine, going into next season. Sure provided they can retain the majority of this roster but no one can pick them reasonably to win anything of value next year until they go out and prove otherwise against some of the nfc elite because there's just no reason to believe you can pick them to win the division that's about it right that that's about as far as you yeah, can go true. Next, then, next season that, you can yeah. safely do that it seems yeah like. you can do that or say they're going to get into the playoffs whether they win the division or a wild card but then nobody nobody cares until the postseason with dallas because been there done that the last three years, then they can't get over the hump uh, of the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I think from a fan standpoint, it had to be at least 90-10. People thought it was over, right? And McCarthy was was going to be fired. I think we all thought that was looming. Uh, you know, we, we talked about when the 
their seasons ended about Nick Sirianni and about Mike McCarthy. Would would one, you know, none or both be gone? And it, it looks like both are going to stay. I'm not surprised in, in Philadelphia, even though I, I understand the reasons you gave yesterday and the reasons people might have thought that might happen. But it seems, I, I think at the end of the day, both organizations are saying, you know what? We were winning. Now, Philly had a horrible end of the year after yeah. starting 10-1, and one, but we have the pieces here to go back to what we were. We were just in the Super Bowl a year ago, so you have that you know, kind of hanging on to saying, and we did it with a lot of the guys that are on this team right now, so we still think we can get back to that again. It is an interesting foil in Philadelphia, right? Because while they got, like, if Dallas had made it to a Super Bowl last year, this probably wouldn't even be a conversation, even if there'd no. be some frustration this season. But how it went down after that and sort of maintaining that consistency over time is so difficult. I always say that in college, you're paying these high-level coaches for proximity to the prize. Can I get close enough, often enough, and then hit it right in one year? The problem with Dallas in the NFL is this was supposed to be your year based on the construction of this roster everything it built towards this being the season and instead Mike McCarthy in Dallas now moves to one and three career in his postseason with losses as you mentioned to the Niners the Packers and the Buccaneers so he's going to get another crack at it you and I both think that's the right move but Dallas Sports Talk Radio this morning crack open Whoa. the phone lines and enjoy one of the easiest days in your careers because boy howdy I'd imagine there is some ye angry haw going on I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Jason Kelsey is making headlines all week about possibly retiring. We're not quite sure yet, but he's also been going viral for being a salt of the earth guy. So he stopped by his local McDonald's where he has a friendship with one of the employees who works the drive through. He went and signed a jersey for her. It was just an amazing moment here. And the Internet has been loving this. And we also found out this is journalism with a capital J, guys. Courtesy of DK's own Ross Tucker, the Jason is a sausage McMuffin with egg guy. Um, so he confirmed to Ross Tucker that that is his go-to order. Uh, guys, how do we feel about this order, actually? is And forgive me, is this sausage McMuffin, so that's just a sausage on a biscuit, and you have to add the so egg? 
that's a it's a good it's a good question because at mcdonald's and a lot of fast food joints yes you've got to clearly state every ingredient or you can end up with some funky stuff and jason did say it's two sausage egg and cheese mcmuffins yes with a large yeah. coffee every time so he's going the full sec there he's got all the accoutrements on that it's a great order befitting a man of his size dad so shout out to ross tucker for getting the job done there obviously does great work for westwood one covers the philadelphia eagles too getting to the important stuff in the story well and listen i, I like bacon more than sausage but i like sausage on a sandwich mm -hmm. because yes. of the surface area you're getting sausage in every bite if you have bacon on there you may not get it in every bite the sausage is that patty and i'm the same way sausage egg and cheese McMuffin, or I do a McGriddle as well. Those are the two things I was say, that, that I will do. The McGriddle's the superior breakfast sandwich at McDonald's. Yes. I'll say that yes, right it is. now. It's the best breakfast yep. sandwich they offer, having two little pancakes, essentially, as Agreed. your sandwich buns with that little bit of infused maple syrup in every bite. Jesse, I mm -hmm. feel compelled to ask because you're the person on here oh, with no. the least trash palate of all of us here. Have you ever had any of the things that we're describing? I believe I've had a a breakfast sandwich from McDonald's. Um, I, it was a long time ago, but I, I'm going to oh guess, boy. Mike, I I'm going to yes. guess, I'm going to guess Mike. She had an egg McMuffin, the basic yes. breakfast sandwich at yeah. McDonald's is the egg McMuffin. Which I believe is, that's what I had. Yes. Yeah. It's the a tried and true like group hangover foods. When people are just yeah, going to go yeah. buy something the next morning for everyone, they'll come back with a bag and some conquering hero yeah. in your friend group who somehow least hung over of you goes to McDonald's, grabs a few coffees for everybody and just a big sweaty, you know, when the bag yeah. sweats, when you Absolutely. got the grease seeping through of the sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffies there. And to your point, Dad, sausage, absolutely the right way to go on that. Yeah. It's got a little more ass to it. I always say I want my breakfast to have some ass. I want to feel actually full after the meal. And with the sausage, you get a little bit more density than some bacon yep. that's just kind you of thrown in there haphazardly. Um, guys, I will say there are – so I'm looking online. It says there are 480 calories in a sausage McMuffin with egg. So he gets that with cheese. So I don't know how many, maybe 120 calories more with the cheese. Yeah. So 600, so, so 1,200 calories of breakfast sandwiches. And, right. and your, your, your point you is? Right. I'm just saying, my point what? is just that obviously, like Jason Kelsey, right? He's got to maintain his body weight during the season, right? So he's like, this is his go-to order. I'm just saying, that's a lot of calories for breakfast, not if you're a professional football player. And the thing that'll happen now is for the next couple of years, he'll still get that unless he is unbelievably disciplined right off the bat. Uh, the, the, the problem we have when we all retire is we kind of still eat the same when we're not working out the same. Now, I'd imagine he's going to keep working out, but he's the dude's going to be sore down the road for sure. But uh, I, I get what you're saying. You start to, you know. I'm 61, been counting calories for a little while. You got to do that as the metabolism slows down, but he's not at that point yet. No, but he's no, going to have not. to chase little kids around, which is tiring. And ah. he's got his status as one of people's sexiest people alive to try and uphold now. I mean, you can't be the sexiest man alive while you're playing and then all of a sudden let that status slip, slip when you got a chance to join in on the very long-standing trend. And Dad, Jason Kelsey, former walk-on player at Cincinnati, not the guy that was ever the biggest or strongest as a player. You'd imagine for him, keeping weight on was a task that required yeah. adding a few extra Meg McMuffins to the bit. And so even though he's retiring in his mid-30s, when to your point, metabolism starts to change a little 
bit it's not quite as easy I do think he's right in line to join the next wave of offensive linemen who drop the pounds after they're done without question by the way you said walk-on in college he was a walk-on running back at Cincinnati a walk-on running back that then switched to fullback that then went to the offensive line and he started more games at guard at Cincinnati than he did at center at the at the, the measurables in his draft year he was 280 pounds so he is no doubt I know you went through it what you know setting alarms eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and slamming shakes to try and gain weight he's a guy too and a lot of offensive linemen are like this that have to do so much to gain weight so you're right he'll probably drop 40 right out of the gate you know in the first few months once he stops all that if you'd like to hear more about that, me and Pablo Torre did a great episode of Pablo Torre Finds Out where we talked to Joe Thomas, where we talked to Nick Hardwick, former, obviously, respectively, great offensive brown, uh, offensive tackle for the Browns, former great center for the then San Diego Chargers about the weight loss phenomenon amongst offensive linemen and how's that how that goes. If you want to hear from Jason Kelsey on a podcast, he's got a pretty good one. It's New Heights. And that came out yesterday, and he addressed the reports that had come out after their loss this past weekend about his retirement status. And this was what the man himself had to say about his decision still hanging in the balance. You know, Nick kind of gave me an opportunity to talk. I didn't announce what I was doing on purpose, despite, I guess, what's been leaked to the Media, I just don't think you're in a position after a game like that to really make that decision. I just don't. There's too much emotion in the moment to really fully grasp that decision. I'm not trying to be dramatic and continue to draw this thing out. I'm really not. It's just something that I think, uh, you know, when it's time to officially announce, you know, what's happening in the future, it'll be done in a, in, in a way that's, you know, definitive and pays respect to a lot of people and uh, individuals that have meant a lot to me and has led to the career I've had. You know, I don't think that it would be uh, respectful or even accurate uh, to be able to do that right after a game like that. Yeah. But I did address the team and pretty much said the same thing that I just said to you, which is, you know, I got belief in every single one of you guys, you know, cherish the moment you have in this league. A lot of guys like, you know, if that is your last game, I feel sorry for you. And I'm like, you don't feel sorry for me, motherfucker. I had a f- <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> wow. I, Travis. So it, it, this trip, this clip contains multitudes because by the end, both of them are on the verge of tears. Like, I'll give Travis that out. Is yeah. He was also trying to negotiate through some brother tears. And if you've heard Travis talk about it over the last few years with his own experience through college, like Travis would not be here were it not for Jason putting his neck yep. out for him. Travis said he wore the number 87 because that's the year Jason was born in. Like, all of these things are why he'd be emotional. But I do love to think about now in the context of the most famous relationship in sports that there's some like very emotional moment with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and he's just in the background like hell yeah hell yeah babe <laughs> hell, hell yeah because he probably couldn't say any more hell than yeah. that or he'd, he'd have yeah. broken up and, and listen Jason is right you can't make that decision right after a season is over there's there's too much baggage from the season it's too emotional you just finish that you gotta you gotta take a breath now I do think he's going to retire but not shockingly, he wants to get all his ducks in a row, and he has a thought process about it, uh, which, which, as I said, isn't shocking for the type of person uh, that he is. And what I love about his career, Mike, is sixth-round draft pick, projected fourth-round draft pick that went in the sixth round, 
and 193 games and 193 starts. And really, the Hall of Fame career didn't start till years into his career, yep. right? It wasn't like he came in with this ball of fire, wow, he's great right off the bat. He started right off the bat, but it took a while, and he built himself into this Hall of Fame player, which is a walk-in first ballot Hall of Famer. But I, like most things, he's handling this the right way, and he'll cry at his retirement. He'll cry when he goes oh, into God. the Hall of Fame. He'll cry multiple times throughout all this. I was going to say, it's the most alike I am with anything in Jason Kelsey. The rest of the football <laughs> stuff, he had way better, but crying at the drop of a hat. My brother in Christ, Jason, come on over here, big fella. Big wet tears waiting for everybody involved. Speaking of tears, coming up next, let's listen to college coaches cry about stuff. <laughs> Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic Research, development, and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust, and it's great in convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. We've been talking about the transfer portal all during college football season, but the reality is it's a very real thing for all major sports, not just football. Okay, guys? So on Saturday, UConn women's basketball head coach Gino Ariema addressed his thoughts on the transfer portal after his team's matchup with St. John's. The average coach out there, though, who's not where I am, it's a, you can't do your job anymore. And people can say, you got to change with the times. How, how does changing with the times help you have better relationships with your players when it's all transactional now? So what kind of relationship can you have with somebody that is telling you, I might be here one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, or I might be at four schools in four years? And this has nothing to do with the money. Forget the money part. This is about the, the ability that they can, you can just walk out anytime you want. So how do, you, how do you coach in an environment where the players feel like they owe you nothing and you owe them everything? This was a oh tone-deaf moment. <laughs> I'll just, wow. A very tone-deaf moment. 
one of the like, great coaches of all time, but some of the most arrogant of, of all time as well. And, and, and I, I mean, I am so tired of coaches saying now these players can leave. So can you. So can you, and you've done it forever. Now, Gino hasn't. Gino has been there forever. Gino has created a monster at UConn. I mean, he's going to be go down as one of the greatest to ever do it. Understood. He is by far an exception to a rule. Coaches leave all the time. So I am so damn tired of hearing, oh, the players can leave now. Do they even, you know, could we even coach him anymore because they're looking out for themselves? Yeah. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And they're finally allowed to, Gino. So kudos to them. Deal with it. It's just I'm so, so annoying. tired. Yeah, exactly. I'm so tired. Like, we're years into this now. We've yeah. seen every argument made publicly. And Gino said here, he's like, I'm not advocating for me. He's like, we're fortunate in the mm -hmm. larger comments. He said, he's like, at UConn, we're fortunate that both financially with what people can make right. in NIL here and the opportunity to play high-level ball, not a lot of people that get here want to leave here for all the obvious reasons. And, you know, he put on his cape like he was doing this for all his buddies that coach at smaller schools and stuff like that. And then you close Close your eyes and you listen. And I kind of did this when he was talking there. You close your eyes and listen to everything he's talking about. And it's exactly the environment that college athletes have lived in for the entirety of the sport. Where the people that are at the helm that actually affect far more people when a player leaves. Yeah, depending on how good the player is, you certainly affect the team. But when a coach leaves a program, you affect every single person that you brought in there to play the sport. Like I remember, and God love Charlie Weiss, who got fired at Notre Dame my sophomore year. He didn't have the choice in that. He didn't choose to leave in that instance. <laughs> right. But when I talked to him years down the road, he always said, I felt so bad about the way that went because I know that that changed the course of a lot of guys' careers when a coaching change happens and when that kind of moves happens because you affect so many people when you're in the most important seat in the building. And so to then sit here on the other side and say, well, how are you supposed to form relationships when it's so transactional? The same way you did before lie about yeah. it being a family and about how you're going to be here and about how we're all arm in arm in kumbaya and then the minute one of those coaches at a lower level that you're talking about gets the better opportunity to go coach at UConn or Duke or Virginia or one of the blue bloods in the sport they up and leave because that's what happens when better opportunity comes along but now the rabbit's got the gun and it's not nearly as fun for all these guys who have to sit here and act like there's no other possible way no other level of sport has managed to live in a world where things are transactional and money's involved and you've got contracts and other reasons that people are there besides being forced to be there by the constraints of the sport give me a break yeah i i just listen again i separate the fact that he's going to go down as probably the greatest if not right there of all time in coaching women's college basketball and what he's done is absolutely incredible separate that completely but some of the thoughts and at least he does separate himself from everybody else but but i'm i'm with you i mean to and to say they, he says well they say you got to change with the times yes you do that's exactly yes. exactly what you now maybe you don't as much as others have to but again you're the exception and then the one example he picked out i mean it's ridiculous. He, he, and oh, it yeah. seemed he was aiming, aiming this at Seton Hall guard Lauren Park Lane. 
This is uh, Gina Oriama said, it's unfortunate because with some of the teams in our league, you get a player that's really, 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 really good, and you coach the hell out of them, and you just made them who they are, okay? It happened to Seton Hall last year, and the oh. kid goes, yeah, well, I think I can make some uh, money somewhere else. This Lauren Park Lane, who went to Seton Hall and transferred to Mississippi State, she was at Seton Hall for four years. She was a grad transfer. This wasn't the, one of these one year there and I'm leaving. And she she clapped back uh, at Gino saying it wasn't about the money. But basically, she was there. She did stay committed there for four years before she left as a grad transfer, which so many people do. Man, talk about picking the wrong choice to try and make an example. Uh, it's just the God complex that so many of these coaches have. You made them who they are. Like, oh, yeah, the player had no role in all of that. Yes, coaching is absolutely important. And yes. any player worth their salt will give them credit for the help and guidance you get. And if you've got a special coach, man, it's such a fortunate thing. And I'm sure Gino has been that for so many people. But, God, the, the arrogance sometimes really is overwhelming. And, Dad, I, I don't want all of this to obscure the point that it is absolutely harder for coaches now yes. to yes. operate. It is a much different system for them from before they have been having to weather a lot of change that comes with the sport all at once with nil the portal all these different things i have no doubt that it is more difficult managing a roster now is tough and i am empathetic to that and some of the schedules that these coaches have to deal with overall like, i i don't want to make it sound like i have no empathy for that side either right but to sit here and to feel like it's the continued vilification of college players for simply having a choice in their outcome when they are the ones who have a four to five year clock on their existence, right. potentially in their sport forever, given the sport, given their level of play, given their pro prospects, to try and make them out to be the villain in a system where we've seen time and time again is decided by television executives and coaches who want to leave for the next multi-million dollar bag. I get it's not that same way in women's basketball for everybody. I'm not a total right. indictment of this situation. But in general, it's become a situation that, quite honestly, I thought this conversation, we had had enough of, we had been through the mechanics of this new system, and we're kind of done with. And so to see it re, you know, reignited by a coach of this caliber, who knows with his platform this is what was going to happen yeah. was surprising. Yeah, I mean, he has a platform, and he is not afraid to speak about the platform. But... I, I'm with you. This is the era we're in. Players, we, we've been saying this for a while, four to five years to try and position themselves. They, and I'm glad they have every right to do that now. Do they do it too much at times and make some wrong choices? Yes, but that, that's part of it. But at least they have the choice because you know what's been going on forever. And we'll do, in college football, we'll pick here. Kalen DeBoer leaves Washington for Alabama. Jed Fish leaves Arizona to go to Washington. Brent Brennan leaves San Jose State to, uh, to go to Arizona. You get the domino effect every year. You don't think that's changing kids and, and what happens to them? And, and, and the, the, the coaches don't care about it? They'll say, yeah, I loved my time there, but they move on. They step stone to the next place. There's an effect, on, as you said before, on every single player. So they do it every single year, and now they're mad or dealing with because the players, you know, have the choice to do it now. So, yeah, yeah. The one thing that struck me is, is he said just what I said before. You got to change with the times, and he kind of shaking his head like, really? Yes, yes. It's exactly what you have to do. Deal with this. That's what coaches. And again, not him so much, but everybody sure. else. There's a new sheriff in town, and it's nil and transfer portal, man. So adapt or die.
And listen, that stuff might change eventually. We'll learn more about that. Right. Players will learn more about that. Maybe it won't be as volatile in the future, but leadership 101 which i'm sure gino ariama knows all about is hey you can't lead everybody the same you've got to figure out what makes people tick what they're motivated by and meet them where they are in a lot of instances and that's the charge right now is it a difficult one absolutely yes 100 percent but just because the group of people that you've had power over now has a little bit of agency in how their future goes doesn't mean we need to get up here and wring our hands about it just because one of your buddies probably complained to you so Oof, there was a lot to get off the plate there. Coming up next, uh, we need to take a look at some big news in the NBA and laugh at another college coach for something completely asinine. to Gojo and Golik. Dad, while we're on the subject of college coaches saying stuff that kind of made me laugh and roll my eyes, did you see what happened to the Texas Longhorns men's basketball team last night? So uh, they were playing now conference opponent, the University of Central Florida. And for UCF, uh, I believe last night was their first road win as a member of the Big 12 Conference. They were down 16 at one point in the game, and they come back and they're able to beat Texas on their home court. And after the game, we saw a moment go on where Texas players were throwing, or excuse me, Central Florida players were throwing the horns down very near the Texas coaching line as they were getting ready to go for the handshake line. And Longhorns head coach Rodney Terry proceeded to start to coach the UCF players telling them to stop that and that is classless and even spoke about it after the game doubling down on this. Do we have the sound of that post game of him doubling down on this? You know, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, you win the right way, you lose the right way. And, you know, I always tell my guys, you know, um, whether you win or lose, you win the right way. You lose the right way. You carry yourself the right way. You don't go through the handshake line or proud to get into the handshake line and have about six or seven guys putting the horns down. We don't do that, you know, because when you do those kind of things, it looks very classless, and it also looks like you were just hoping to win. We never go into games trying to hope to win. We go into games expecting to win. So we don't act like that. You know, we expect to win. We don't jump up and down act like we won a national championship. We sure don't step on anyone's home court deal and act crazy and try to show them up in any way. We don't do that. You know, so that's what I was angry about. And I was letting those guys know you don't do that. You know, you guys won. Hey, we shake, you know, shake your hand, tip our head to you, but we're not going to let you act that way in our building. You're not going to do that. You're not going to put your horns down and do all that nonsense. Yeah, they are. I'm pretty yeah, sure they are. losing the wrong way would be going and complaining to the other team about how they won. To me, that's not the right way to lose in this situation. But what do I know? I didn't lose apparently a nearly enough games to be an expert on the subject here. This is the lamest thing I've ever heard. Like if you're a Texas fan, you've got to be deeply embarrassed waking up this morning because the amount of times you heard him say, we don't win like this or we don't lose like this, referencing a team he doesn't coach is insane. I'm I'm I mean to lecture like that you know, you know what you need to lecture about is why you lost 
Right. Why why you lost the game, not lecture the other team. Let them deal with it. If their coach wants to talk to their team about it or doesn't, that's up to him. It ain't up to you. So, I mean, again, you could say that at the press conference if you want. You know, that that would be the time if you want to say something, not lecturing the players during the handshake line after. If I were the coach of the other team, I'd be like, hey, Leave my I I'll coach my players, you coach your players, and oh why by the way, tonight our players were better than your players, but that's not the place to do it. You want to go ahead and rant like that in the presser, go ahead. We're still gonna have a little fun with you because you should be worried more about, you know, the comment should be, hey, was I happy with the way the other team acted about the win? No, but it's more on us. How about pulling the thumb again, huh? okay? Instead of pointing the finger and ranting about that. You can get your point in in a line. I didn't like the way they did that, but they won the game. We need to worry about why we lost that game and go from there. I think the real problem is that it's such an innocuous thing to do. Like, it's not oh. – it, that's what I yeah. keep going back to is, like, they weren't being dis- – like, this idea that they were doing something so disrespectful that, like, the head coach of the other team has to call them out for it is ridiculous. It was so stupid. But Texans fans get really upset about Horns Down, which is a whole other conversation, that it's hysterical, like, oh, well. the rage that it evokes from them. I mean, remember the Big 12 was penalizing players yes. who do the yeah. horns down on the field because they were so obedient to Texas towards the end of their tenure. And Texas people would get so sad when you would do the horns down, which is objectively one of the most fun things to do in sports. Like as someone, we had kind of like a like a half-assed version of that because USC does the little Trojan peace sign thing. Yeah. And I remember when we win there, you'd go and you'd toss it down and it's a ton of fun. The horns down, infinitely more fun to rock down. It's so it's- cool. And if I was a player, that came in and hadn't won a road game in my new conference and got to do it at a place like Texas that I'm sure you watched as a kid or at the very least were aware of the history there. I would absolutely go in there and talk my stuff. The wise words of my buddy and former teammate Torian Smith will echo in my ear forever. People say, act like you've been there before. I say, I act like I'm never going back. That was awesome. <laughs> and that coach going over there and deciding to bark at other players. You're right, dad, is akin to joining and parenting someone else's kids. Yeah, which which I would uh, lose my mind over yeah. without oh, I would question. Fight. I would We're throw hands. talking about horns down. Yeah, Beep. horns down. Seriously, Beep. you're gonna go on a rant like that for horns Beep. down? Who cares? You lost the game. These are 18 to 22 year olds, you know, with emotion showing it. They pulled off a big win, right? That wasn't expected at this point. So you went horns down. Oh, my God. Play the violin. Get over it. Get over it with your pompous sit on your on, on the top of the, you know, the desk there saying, I'm going to teach these kids the right way and let them know that was wrong and you can't do that. Get over yourself and worry about why you lost the game. I haven't checked. I hope the US, UCF social team did the right thing here, which is yeah. create the greatest supercut highlight film and tag Texas in it after the fact. It might come back to bite you in the ass later on, but why worry yeah, about sure. tomorrow when you've got it yeah. so good today? And like, I don't know, man, just the, the <clears throat> we don't win like that and we don't win like this on somebody else's court in reference wow. to a team that you do not coach. Maddening, insane, all the reasons and all the things to me. Dad, speaking of basketball, we had NBA news. We talked yesterday a lot with Charlotte about the Indiana Pacers and going after Pascal Siakam. They have finalized that deal, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. They get uh, all-star forward Pascal Siakam. Indiana's going to send the Raptors, Bruce Brown, Jordan Nora, and three first 
round picks. The New Orleans Pelicans are the third team in this deal. They will be sending Kira Lewis to the Raptors as a part of this. So the Pacers get their man, Dad. We've, we talked about the issues that that team would have trying to bring someone over in free agency. The thought of the picks in that. They're a team in contention right now that's a market that's difficult to get players of this caliber. And so they paid up the price to try and make a run. And they said, we'll figure out free agency after the season as Pascal Siakam is in the final year of his deal. Yeah, I, and and I, I think they have to work this out because this move alone, while the the uh, the odds, the uh, DraftKings Sportsbook odds went from they were at plus twelve thousand, now they're at plus seven thousand for their championship odds. I don't think this move, Mike, puts them at the uh, up near Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, but it's a good piece of the puzzle, I think, to sign to build on with your young young talent on that team, you know, getting that point forward, getting that defensive player that he can be. Uh, so I, I don't think this move works unless they sign him to a long-term deal because this isn't a, I'm going to rent you for the rest of this year and all of a sudden work in, in contention in the East. I don't think so. Nope, and you give yourself the best chance, though, right? Because when everyone else is making their free agency pitches, they're going to be doing it without the benefit of having him inside that building, being able to basically spend the entire back half of the season recruiting him, showing him why he could and should pick this organization. And so you give yourself a chance, which I'd imagine for Pacers fans is a pretty big breath of fresh air to be relevant in the way that you've been to have Tyrese Halliburton have the seasons he's had and now to try and add even more to that and see your organization making these kinds of moves uh, do want to take a minute by the way as we're talking about the NBA to offer our condolences to the Golden State Warriors and the NBA family at large for the tragedy that they suffered here recently as Golden State Warriors assistant coach Dejan Majovic was a mentor in of the two-time NBA champion Nikola Jokic, a former player in his native country of Serbia, died Wednesday in Utah after suffering a heart attack, the team announced. In a statement they put out on their official account on Twitter, the Warriors said, we are absolutely devastated by Dejan Malojevic's sudden passing. This is a shocking and tragic blow for everyone associated with the Warriors and an incredibly difficult time for his family, friends, and all of us who have had the pleasure to work with him. We grieve with and for his wife, Natasa, and their children, Nikola and Masa, as well uh Dejan Malojevic was 46 years old so our condolences thoughts and prayers to his family the NBA family and the Golden State Warriors and all who knew him for this incredibly sad sad moment for that team When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.